You're listening to audio from the Town Center campus of CA Church, located in downtown Coquitlam. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. Okay, Matthew 6, 16. Title is Fasting. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received the reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Nailed it. You guys can be seated. Fantastic. So good to see you guys here um, this, this morning. Um, yeah, I'm just going to be honest. I'm a little... Uh, you notice I prayed more this morning than I normally do. I don't know if the, is right. I was like praying at every interval. I'm just a little anxious this morning. I just had a few curveballs this morning, so I'm just trying to kind of calm my my heart and soul here. I'm fine. Thanks, buddy. That's all I need. <laughs> Great. Guys, we have been, I'm ready, let's just do this. Uh, we are in uh, a month, uh, kind of a month of, we've been doing this series on prayer, and we've been exploring um, the reasons why we pray. We've been exploring the language of prayer, um, the character of the God that we pray to, we talked about a bit last week in, in the story of the prodigal son. Today we're going to explore how to add fuel to our prayer. And, and really to get to the heart of what prayer is all about. So beyond uh, asking, beyond confession, um, the words that we say, why do we pray? And what does fasting have to do with it? Does fasting just mean skipping a meal? And if so, why? Now, around fasting, we, we, most of us probably have a few questions. This is not a normal uh, practice for many of us. Um, what is fasting? Why do we fast? And, and, and should we always fast? And the obvious questions that come up are things like, well, what about people with, with body image? Uh, what about intermittent fasting? By the way, that's just intermittent eating. <laughs> Think about it. Today as a society, you, I mean, if we were to take a quick look at commercials, um, drive downtown, whatever, we would get the idea, we are, as a society, we're moving in the exact opposite direction of fasting, right? The last thing we would say is stop doing things. We would say do things. Do more things. I was looking at this one earlier. I was like, look at how many, no, let's go back there. Um, got, we got all the food pa plastered up there. We got Wendy's, Del Taco, oh, it's good. Uh, Subway, McDonald's, uh, everywhere we could go to gamble, Coca-Cola. We're going in the, the opposite direction as, as a culture of saying, hey, why don't we hold back? Um, if we look at some of the slogans that we're used to, it's not, hey, hold back, resist, be patient. It's expect more and pay less. Or may, it should be expect more, get less, probably. Reebok, just do it. Don't think about it too much. Nike. Oh, sorry. <laughs> What's Reebok's slogan? Nothing. Do nothing. Okay. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> hey, maybe that's... One, one, of, uh, one of the ones I came across this week as I was looking is, what you want is what you get. That was a McDonald's slogan. What you want is what you get. And then that got me on a trail of different McDonald's slogan and slogans. And there's a bit of a kind of a, an evolution to these. In 2005, it is, it's what I eat and what I do. 
Actually, before that one, sorry. 2001. There's a little McDonald's in everyone. You probably go see a doctor. There's just a, where, where is it? It's what I eat and it's what I do. And then they finally get to the point in, in 2008 to 2015. It's what we're made of. That's disgusting. <laughs> McDonald's, it's what we're made of. And half of that's not even beef. So that's frightening. But it gets to the point that I want us to think about today. We are what we eat. We've heard that before. The invitation to fast points out the opposite um, of, that, of that idea. You are what you eat. I would suggest this. Be careful that what you consume does not end up consuming you. And if you want to figure out if something's consuming you, fasting something will help you figure that out. So before we, we dive in, I will ask a rhetorical question. That's when you think about you. Don't yell it out. You know who you are. What consumes you? What, what often uh, is taking over emotionally? Where is your physical time spent? When work is over, you have no responsibility with the family. What are you hoping you get to do? What are you hungry for? When the world's left us alone, what do you want to do more than anything else? And to take that, that a step further, what started outside of the family and outside of the work and now has made its way into taking away from the family and taking away from when you should work? What are the things that, that used to serve you, but now you're serving them? For us today, there are things that are far more difficult to give up than food. Most of us here would have a harder time giving up our phones for a day than food. I mean, if, if aliens were to show up and figure out who's running our culture, it would be probably cats and dogs, because we do everything for them. And they would think we're drugged because we can't stop looking at our devices. Be careful that what you consume does not end up consuming you. In the ancient Near East, fasting was, was connected to denying self someone food, but it also could be connected with a handful of other things, even in scripture. Denying yourself uh, sex with your, with your spouse. It, denying yourself bathing. In a way, it seems like you're denying other people something there too. Denying yourself sandals on your feet. And the idea seems to be a belief or an understanding that a, a temporary suspension of normal everyday activities that you have come to take it for granted could help you remember God's goodness and sustenance and help you acknowledge your dependence on him, that he sustains all things by the power of his word. So as a working definition, I would propose this for fasting. Fasting is the voluntary denial of an otherwise normal activity for the sake of growing in spiritual hunger and intimacy. I was going to use the word acuity, but then I figured then I'd have to change it and say intimacy. So I just said intimacy. Focusing in. So we're in a series on prayer. Why are we talking about fasting? What does fasting have to do with praying? Well, almost everywhere that scripture talks about fasting, it is connected to prayer. In fact, the text that, that Mark just read for us, um, Matthew 6, 16 to 18, is connected to the section before it, which is the Lord's Prayer that we're all very familiar with. He's teaching his disciples how to pray, and immediately after that, he talks about fasting. Because for those who are listening to Jesus, that those were always connected, not always, they were often connected 
Fasting and prayer. Fasting was considered a way to kind of up your game, to, to strengthen your prayer life. Have you ever played the old video games where you were doing a, racing a car and you added nitro and then it would shoot down? Or I guess, I guess some of your favorite movies have that in them as well. If you're fast or you're furious, I'm sure they have that in there somewhere. And it's a way to add strength and power. It was as if fasting prepared the heart for a desire and a dependence of God. The Hebrew word that was used for fasting was ana, which simply means to deny yourself. Wasn't necessarily specifically about food. It came, to, it came to be practiced that way, but it didn't actually mean that. It just meant deny yourself. It was understood to mean get, getting rid of the basics. And we see this throughout the Hebrew scriptures. Fasting happened for a handful of reasons. There were different times of fasting. During the Day of Atonement in the book of Leviticus in chapter 16, it was a way of getting everything out of your way so you could focus on God's redemptive work played out in the Day of Atonement. Everyone was meant to stop and take in worship for the day. It was connected with repentance and confession in 1 Samuel 7, 6. There was the sin of idolatry with God's people and they, they came to him and confessed and they fasted. When God's people felt like they were in danger in Judges 20, when there was infighting among God's people in Nehemiah 1, 4, when the children of Israel have made their way back to Jerusalem and the gates have been ripped off Jerusalem and Nehemiah, who is far away, is concerned about their safety he fasts and he prays for the safety of Jerusalem. In Joel 2, the people of God are, are weeping and mourning over their concern that they have walked away from God and they want to come back. And so they're mourning over their sin. There's a handful of reasons and a handful of reasons that we might fast. All of them are cries for the God who is above all things to be close to us. They are all prayers of asking if God could come close. Something I would say most of us probably this morning want to do. Hopefully when we come to a service in the morning, we wake up for our morning devotional or whatever, whatever we do to nurture, we're hoping to walk away with more Jesus. And I, I've often prayed that here. Our prayer is not that people will think I was funny or that I preached a great message or that the worship was stellar and on top. We want people to leave here closer and more in love with Jesus and making more room for Jesus. And in today's text, Jesus brings this aspect of fasting for the forefront. And he points out a few things that I want us to, to think on this morning. The first is this. He points out that fasting shows us what owns us. Fasting shows us what owns us. In 16, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do. For they disfigure their faces to show others that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. Jesus is describing a sort of fasting that is more about how it's perceived by other people. It's a, it's a public display and it's an act for attention to show others, he said. He compares this to hypocrites. Now, I, you've probably heard this before, but the word hypocrites actually comes from the Greek theater. It means one who wears a mask. So you're familiar with the, the, the two masks of drama, the, the comedy and tragedy. That's the idea of a hypocrite, someone who puts those on. It doesn't matter what's happening underneath, but that's what a hypocrite is. So modern day, it might be the, the Instagram while you're fasting. Hashtag fasting, hashtag frown face. That would be the modern equivalent. Hey, Jesus says, hey, good news. If that's why you're fasting, if that's what you're after, I'll give it to you. Sadly. I'll give it to you. You'll get all the clicks you want. 
You'll get your heart emojis, but that's it. And to fast from food to gain praise simply reveals that food is not your biggest vice. For some, food might be a vice. And often some will argue that people with body issues should not fast. I would disagree. They just shouldn't fast from food. But since there's been a a rise since 2012 in social media, especially amongst young girls, to have issues with their body as they compare themselves to others, I would suggest that fasting social media would be fruitful and healthy, in fact, saving lives. As Richard Foster suggests, he says this, more than any other discipline, fasting reveals the things that control us. Jesus goes on to say in 17 to 18, but when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your father who is unseen. Fasting does not require attention. God can do his work without others knowing. These days, it's hard to believe that anything that you can do that's worthwhile can be done without posting about it. If it's not posted, did it really happen? This would have been very hard for Jesus' audience to grasp as as well. If I'm doing something righteous and right before God, should I not do it in front of everybody else so they they can see how it's supposed to be done? And Jesus has gone over this several times in his Sermon on the Mount and in the chapters that surround this. If they were feeding the poor, they did it so that people could see. If they were doing it in the temple, they would use coins and they would put them one by one by one so that people could hear the coins going in from another room. If they were praying, they would, they would pray in front of everybody else, these hypocrites, so that they could be seen and seen and thought of as righteous. Let their stomachs grumble so everybody could hear it. But this is Jesus' pushback against those who felt that they were gaining points in heaven and were being seen by God because of their display. Jesus says, no, 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 no. You want God to work in your life? Nobody needs to know. Go about your day. Put oil on your head. That was a normal everyday thing for, for, for hair and the skin. Wash your face. Go to work. Be kind. Do not try to find ways of explaining your righteousness in the staff room. You've never visited the staff room before, but you're skipping lunch today. So now you're sitting, oh, that looks good. What are you eating? What are you eating? Oh, nothing. I'm just, I can't tell you, but I'm not eating today. Do you guys, do you guys hear that? Do you guys hear that stomach? Go about your day. Finally, Jesus says this, and and this gets to the the most important point in verse 16. He says, and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So when you give up something to fast, when you and I voluntarily deny ourselves something we take for granted for the sake of growing in spiritual hunger and intimacy with no extras, no hypocrisy, no display for the audience, our father who does see what is done in secret will reward you. Fasting without display offers reward without fail. Imagine the difference between what we reward ourselves in our limited limited understanding of pleasure and life and what God would reward us with. In our ignorance, we think that the praise of a fickle crowd is the reward. That is a curse. That is an addiction. That is a ride that never stops. 
Often the very things that we reward ourselves with, the rewards we seek, are the things that consume us. When we fast, whatever we're fasting from, we are, we are after one reward. More Jesus. More of him. That's, a, that's the greatest reward we could ever get. More intimacy with Jesus. And in a, in a society of which we are, we are captured and, and seduced, going in the opposite direction of fasting, where we want things now, we want it all, and we believe we deserve it all now, and if our Starbucks takes longer than three minutes, we lose it. Fasting is like pushing all the clouds away in the night sky so that we can see the stars. Approaching God in prayer, seeking him while we are simultaneously removing those things that compete for our attention, declaring, all I want is more of you. All I want is more of you. Because you are the greatest reward. We're, we're tempted, especially in our culture, and all, all of us, every one of us in this room, we're tempted to add more and more to our lives, thinking that they will bring joy or, or somehow put an end to our anxieties. The message of Jesus is that the more we give up, the more porous we become, the more we allow him to work in our lives and give us true reward. It's our hearts he's after. It's, our, it's ourselves that he's after. In the book of Isaiah, the prophet writes out this conversation that is going on between the people of Israel and, and Yahweh and God. And the people of Israel are, are talking back to God because he doesn't seem very close to them, even though they're fasting. And they're like, what's wrong with you, God? It says this, it says, why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? And then God responds, yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please. You exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes so that it can be seen? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to God? Is not the kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke? To set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here I am. You'll see the naked and you'll clothe them. All the things where there's no, no way of being paid back. Releasing the things that you want to hold on to, your time, your money. There's a, there's a connection here. There's a, a connection here of an authentic fast, of, of an effective fast and living out the gospel. See, like, like the display of fasting that Jesus talks about or, or fasting that is seen simply as a spiritual requirement of, of Christianity. Fasting that is done in a disconnect with Christian living will be without fruit. It'll lack intimacy. It's like we've put the mask on and we're trying to fool God himself. 
Fourth century theologian Ambrose of Milan, who was from Milan, writes this. He says, do not limit the benefit of fasting merely to abstinence from food. For a true fast means refraining from evil. You do not eat meat, but you devour your brother. You abstain from wine, but not from insults. So all the labor of your fast is useless. Not a religious display of piety, but a contrite heart that desires more of him and will give up those things we hold on to so tightly in order to get more of him. To throw off everything, the writer of Hebrews says, throw off everything that hinders and sin that so easily entangles and run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. In other words, what will you give up to get closer to Jesus? What will you give up for the one who gave up everything for us? Just for, for more of him. See, the greatest result, you and I, the greatest reward we can receive from fasting and prayer is not necessarily an answer to prayer. <laughs> it's not necessarily healing. It's not financial stability. It's not the perfect mate who doesn't exist. Your perfect mate out there somewhere is hanging out next to the unicorn. It's unicorn, oompa loompa, the one. Okay? They're not there. The best thing you can get is more Jesus. The greatest reward of fasting and prayer is more of him, is more reliance on him, more of his presence. And often our hands are so full of stuff, our heart and mind so stuffed with their pursuits, the very things we used to consume are now consuming us so we have no room left for his presence in our lives. What would we give up for just another moment of his presence, another sense of his presence? Catherine Marshall, who was a gifted journalist, storyteller, critic, sarcastic. Yeah, I believe that. Really? Nothing? Okay. In one point in her life, she was convicted by this text in her morning study. Matthew 7, where Jesus says, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So convicted by those words about judging others, she felt God gave her an assignment to fast from criticism. So I just want to read you a, a bit, it's about a page of her reflection on this. She said, one morning last week, he gave me an assignment for the day I was to go on a fast from criticism. I was not to criticize anybody about anything. Could you imagine? <sighs> Into my mind crowded all the usual objections, but then what happens to value judgments? You yourself, Lord, spoke of righteous judgment. How could society operate without standards and limits? All such resistance was brushed aside. Just obey me without questioning. An absolute fast on any critical statements for the day. And as I pondered this assignment, I realized that there was an even humorous side to this kind of fast. What did the Lord want to show me? For the first half of the day, I simply felt a void, almost as if I had been wiped out as a person. <laughs> This was especially true at lunch with my husband, Len, my mother, son, Jeff, and my secretary, Jean, uh, with all of them present. Several topics came up. School prayer, abortion, the ERA, the Equal Rights uh, Amendment, 
about which I had definite opinions. I listened to the others and kept silent. Barbed comments on the tip of my tongue about certain world leaders were suppressed. In our talkative family, <laughs> no one seemed to notice. Bemused, I noticed that my comments were not missed. The federal government, the judicial system, and the institutional church could apparently get along fine without my penetrating observations. But still, I didn't see what this fast on criticism was accomplishing until mid-afternoon. For several years, I'd been praying for one talented young man whose life had gotten sidetracked. Perhaps my prayers for him had been too negative. That afternoon, a specific positive vision of this life was dropped into my mind with God's unmistakable hallmark on it, joy. Ideas began to flow in a way I had not experienced in years. Now it was apparent that the Lord wanted me to, to see what he wanted me to see. My critical nature had not corrected a single one of the multitudinous things I found fault with. What it had done was to stifle my own creativity in prayer, in relationships, perhaps even in my writing. She was an author. Ideas that he wanted to give me. And then last Sunday night at a Bible study group, I told of my day's fast experiment. The response was startling. Many admitted that criticalness was the chief problem in their office, in their marriage, in their children. My own character flaw here is not going to be corrected overnight, but I think this problem, um, I've thought through this problem over the past few days. I find the most solid scriptural basis possible for dealing with it. All through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus sets himself squarely against our seeing other people and life situations through this negative lens. So she comes up with five things that she learned after this fast from criticalness. One, a critical spirit focuses on ourselves and makes us unhappy. We lose perspective and humor. A critical spirit blocks the positive creative thoughts God longs to give us. A critical spirit can prevent good relationships between individuals and often produces retaliatory criticalness. Obviously. Criticalness blocks the work of the spirit of God, his love, his goodwill, his mercy. And whenever we see something genuinely wrong in other person's behavior, rather than criticize them directly or far worse, gripe about them behind their back, we should ask the spirit of God to do the correction needed. These are five truths that came to her after one day of fasting from criticalness. For Catherine Marshall, it was a, a fast of, of criticism that helped her move forward in faith, to charge her prayers, to hear the voice of God. So as we end this morning, these are two challenges I have for you. The first is this. I want you to consider a fast from whatever. Consider a fast from something for one day. You're allowed to cheat and take criticism. TV, Netflix, sports, maybe. Maybe it's more character stuff that you see in yourself. Yelling, critique, scrolling, maybe scrolling social media for hours, complaining. Maybe for some of you, some of us, we do need to fast from certain foods that we're putting in our bodies that are causing addiction. Alcohol, coffee, food, Coke Zero, gum. Oh, this is just my list now. <laughs> Got to stop by Walmart. Hey, listen, for some of us, th this stuff is just like breathing. I, uh, in, in my home, I have, I have hurt my, my wife many times with my quick responses. Um, sometimes criticism, more just uh, a, misle a badly placed joke or sarcasm. 
I don't know if some of you know this, but some, forget it. So that's the first thing. Fill in that blank somehow. And then the second thing I would say is this. Spend at least a half an hour in prayer at the end of that day. If it helps, and it helps me often, journal it as well. Be honest with your struggles. Be thankful for his sustenance. Reflect on what you learned. Give the Spirit of God time to point out those things that have been taking up space in you that rightfully belongs to him. This is the gift of fasting. This is the gift of removing things from our lives so that our hands are free to accept more of who he is. Often when we worship, we do this with our hands. That's what fasting is. Fasting is opening our hands, emptying our hands and saying, fill me up. That's the invitation today. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of CA Church.